Good morning, folks. If you're here for the first time, welcome. My name's Steve. It's great to have you with us uh, this morning. And we begin a series called Love Your Church. Eight great things about being part of the church. And we're going to do eight over four weeks. So that's two a week if you're not very good at maths. Okay. The privilege of being part of a gospel-centered, gospel-loving, and gospel-proclaiming churches all of my life. I was born into a little church called Park Street Chapel down in the Dingle. It's not there anymore. That's where my mum and dad became Christians. I spent 29 years at Bridge Chapel growing up there. Became an elder there at 25. I was an elder there for just under six years. And I've been part of this church, Cornerstone Church, Liverpool, for 12 years. And I have so many memories. Memories and experiences that bring me to tears of joy. Think of them. Especially here, especially Bridge Chapel. I have memories of people joyfully serving one another. Memories of hundreds of people becoming Christians. Countless baptisms. I've lived amongst and served alongside ordinary people who are legends of the faith. Can someone get me some batteries? I think they're dying. Legends of the faith. And I'm thankful how God has used those people to love me and care for me as I've been part of those churches. But I have also seen and experienced pain, misunderstanding, disappointment, injustice and brokenness that has caused and left wounds. Thank you. Wounds. Caused and left wounds. Wounds that have been caused by others, but wounds that have also been caused by me to others. So when we start a series about loving your church, the temptation for myself and the temptation for Paul is to front load it all with our experiences, both good and bad. And there's a temptation for all of, all of us as we listen is to listen through the grid that we have regarding our own experiences of church and therefore then miss the joy and the importance of what it means to be part of the local church. Now, obviously, our experiences either highlight the wonders of what it is to be part of the church or they highlight the failings of saved people who still struggle with sin, living in a broken world. But our hearts, as we go through this series, in the best way we can is to show and remind us of the joy, blessing, privilege, and responsibility of what it is to be part of the church. And the word I want you, me, to allow to infiltrate our thinking is the word joy. The word joy. I want us to know the joy of being called his children. I want us to know the joy of what it is to be a people that he obtained with his own blood. I want us to know the joy of serving others. I want us to know the joy that comes with 
and the understanding of stepping into the responsibilities that we all have as being part of the church of Jesus Christ. I want us to know that being part of the church means investing your life in a gospel-centered community of believers who joyfully serve one another and advance the mission of Jesus together. There was a pastor in the 20th century, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. In fact, he was the physician to the queen before he became a pastor. And he said this, the greatest need of the hour is a revived and joyful church. Unhappy Christians are a poor recommendation for the faith. The exuberant joy of the early Christians was one of the most potent factors in the spread of Christianity. So over the next four weeks, we are going to be looking at eight great things of what it is to be part of the church. And I want us to see the joy of belonging, the joy of welcoming, the joy of gathering, the joy of honoring, the joy of caring, the joy of serving, the joy of witnessing, and the joy of sending. And this morning, we're going to look at two of them, belonging and welcoming. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise and thank you so much that you obtained us, those who have faith in your Son, by his blood. We are your church. We are your people. So we ask that you would come and have your way amongst us as we think about the joy of what it is to be part of your church. But I would ask, Lord, that you, yes, in the reality of our own experiences, that you would, would by your Spirit, penetrate through them. And I ask and I pray, Lord, that you would, you would do a work of that. That reignites a love for your people. Help us do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So no one told you life was going to be this way. Your job's a joke, you're broke, your love's life is DOA. It's like you're always stuck in second gear. When it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year, but... Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. You know what I mean? The middle-aged man came in with it. I'll be there for you when the rain starts to pour. I'll be there for you like I've been there before. I'll be there for you because you're there for me too. Ooh, 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 ooh. The theme tune to the 1990s show, Friends. I'm going to swap over the mics, guys. Are we on? There we go. The theme tune to the 1990s show, Friends. My girls, one's 15, one's 15, they are obsessed with Friends. So if you haven't seen Friends, where have you been, for starters? But if you haven't seen Friends, it's a show of six young adults living in Manhattan in New York from different backgrounds, different people. But they're a group. They're a community. Some of them live together. Two are siblings. Some are bright. Some are not so bright. All very different, 
but they all have this real sense of belonging. A real sense of being together, which is shaped by history, which is shaped by their own experiences, which is even shaped by romance. Now, the show was a hit. In the 1990s, each of those actors were receiving a million dollars an episode. That's how big it was as a hit. But it's also a hit today. Yes, because of its brilliant writing and its comedy timing, but I think it was a hit because the writers hit on something that is part of the human psyche. We all, as Ben said before, have a desire, a want, a need to belong. To belong to something. We have a restlessness about not being longing to something or to someone. And the Bible does tell us that we, each of us, are made in the image of God. The God, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. And like Ben said before, for all of eternity, God has existed in relational community. So to be made in the image of God is to be a relational being. That's who we are at essence. Yes, some of us are introverts, some of us are extroverts, some of us are comfortable with our own uh, company, some of us are afraid of our own company. But in essence, because we are made in the image of God, we are all relational. And we all have a sense of belonging. That's why shows like Friends, Cheers, Modern Family, This Is Us are hits. That's why social media has exploded and changed the way we live. That's why we have had mods, rockers, punks, goths, emos, hipsters, scouse, lacoste, tracky-wearing, ketwig, hairstyle lads. We are part of the People's Republic of Liverpool because we are scouse before we are English. That's why we have tribal following of sports teams. Yes, it's because we like the music. Yes, it's because we like the fashion. Yes, it's because we like the sport. Yes, it's because we love the city. But it's because, in essence, we have been created to belong. To relationally engage, to be part of community. Now, as Christians, we know that sin has affected that, don't we? In essence, we are image bearers, but sin has distorted that. So therefore, it distorts our sense of belonging, our sense of community. So therefore, people build community around things that don't reflect the character of God. And because sin has disrupted the essence of God's image in our community, we only have to look down history to see how that has caused so much damage in many different ways. Folks, when God created humanity in his image, he created us to display his image to the world. He created us to display his glory to the world. So his intention was that through humans who bear his image, his character, his glory, and his presence would be known and felt all over the world. But sin distorted that, therefore distorting our image, and therefore our God 
God-given desires for relationship and community. So as much as we desire community and relational interaction, anything outside of what God ultimately intended for humans in the context of relationship and in the context of community doesn't quite fit, does it? Doesn't. I've been involved with sports clubs for most of my life, whether that's football or swimming, and at the moment, I'm in a tennis club. It's very middle class, I know, but I do play a little bit of tennis. And it's a great club. Lovely people. We have a banter, we have great games of tennis, they have little competitions in the summer, and even the kids can get involved. And even as a church, Cornerstone, we did a little partnership with them for sort of like a uh, a thing with all the kids from church in the summer a couple of years ago. It's brilliant. But take tennis out of it. That community ultimately gives me nothing. When things go pear-shaped in my life, the reason why relationship and community have been given to us, that community does not satisfy. See, as we read in the Bible, we see that the story of promise made to humanity is that God will save and restore a people to himself to display his glory to, and therefore to display his glory through. And Paul went right into Titus in the New Testament. He says this, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. See, Paul says Jesus gave himself to redeem us, to buy us back from all lawlessness. What does that mean? It means lives and ways of living that the distortion of sin has caused. To purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works, who are excited from the, the depth of our being to display the glory of God to the world through how we live together. See, folks, it's through the cross and resurrection of Jesus we have been redeemed, purified to be the people of God and to work for his glory and for the good of others. That's why all of the communities somewhere break down. That's why ultimately when you get right through it, when the real need of all our longings are wanted, they can't be found anywhere else apart from the church of Jesus Christ. You may not agree, but that's what God says. So in order for us to understand and appreciate who you as a Christian belong to, we need to allow the Bible to elevate our concept of church. We need to allow the Bible to elevate it, rather than our own experiences, whether they've been good or whether they've been bad. Because what the Bible says of who we are and what we belong to is far greater than any wonderful experience that I have had and joy that I have from being part of the church. And it's far greater than any pain or suffering that I have or you have may have experienced because of being part of the church. See, Paul in his letter to the churches in Ephesus tells them and tells us that we, each of us, are fellow citizens. I don't know if you noticed when I started talking about the Scouse, Lacoste, trackie-wearing lads. I got a little bit passionate. Why? Because I'm Scouse. I love this city. Last night we went for a meal, Sean and I, with Anna and Stu, to the Panoramic 34. Have you been there? Beetham Tower? It was amazing. You're 34 floors up. 
we're looking at the pier head, we're looking at all the cathedrals, we're looking at all the streets, we're spotting all different places. And I had a seat looking out the window for the whole night. The company was great, but the view was better. I'm thinking about this as we're enjoying that evening. And my affections and my love are being stirred up because I'm part of this city that I'm proud of. And we have a connection because we're part of the best city of the world. We are fellow citizens. Folks, we are fellow citizens of the kingdom of God, which is far greater than being a citizen of Liverpool. Far greater. My affections and joys as we sing together, as I look out on you, as you look across the room at each other, should be stirred up far more than having the meal looking at Liverpool. Because we are fellow citizens. He says that we are members of the household of God. We are members of the same household. We're part of the same location. We're all part of the house that God has created. And not only are we part of the house that God has created, he says that we are also living stones that are part of building up that household built upon Jesus, the cornerstone. So we're not only invited in to be part of this household, he's using us to build up that household for his glory and for the good of other people. And then he takes it a step further and he says, you're not only a household, but you are also a temple of the living God. Actually, the presence of God lives amongst the church of Jesus Christ. In the heart of individuals, collectively together, who are the temple of God. And he goes right through and he says, one day, Jesus will present the church, all of us, all of us now with our stains and our blemishes, he will present us before God the Father without any stain and without any blemish. Doesn't matter how big the stain is. Doesn't matter how big the blemish is. Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, takes the church, the bride, and makes it beautiful. That's what we're part of. That's what we are part of. And he prays that God will be glorified in the church and through the church. But in chapter 3, verse 10, he says this, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be known, made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So we're not only just a people who are citizens together. We're not just a people who are part of the same household. We're not just people who belong to the place where God's presence is and it flows from. We are also people as a church that God's intention is to use to show the multifaceted wisdom of God to the world. Tony Marita wrote the book, Love Your Church, says that belonging to the church means that you belong to a cosmic sermon that is proclaimed everywhere. everywhere. God is using us to say, this is who I am. Can you believe that? Just take a moment thinking about yourself. Wow, what mercy, what grace. That's all I needed. Just that time to go, how on earth? But he does. This is what we belong to, folks. This is what we are part of. Amen. See, what I love about the Bible is that it gives us metaphors to help us ground and understand what it means to be part of the church. There are a number. The church is a bride. Church is temple. It's described as church being the body. But my favorite is this. The church is family. 
The metaphor of family helps me understand the joy of belonging as you look and experience life with those who are part of this same family. This Christmas just gone, it's the first time in 21 years that my mum and dad have had all their kids and grandkids together at Christmas. you believe that? 21 years. And the Robbos, we're a big family. There's lots of us, lots of us. We have played our bit in multiplying the earth. But we're different. Those who are Robbos, the kids of Phil and Pauline, are married to different people. That brings different cultures. There are moments where we frustrate each other. There are moments where we, when we disagree. There are some that enjoy certain things and have a passion for like sci-fi movies. There are those of us who don't, don't understand that at all. There are those who are brilliant at DIY and those who are great at paying other people to do DIY. We're different. But we're all robos. We're all family. We're all brothers and we're all sisters. Folks, as Christians, that's who we are. And our connection as family is far deeper than the Robo connection. Far deeper. Because we are part of the family of God. We are brothers and sisters. We are co-heirs with Jesus. We have the same lonely father that delights in us. And he wants me and us to enjoy what it means to be part of his family as we live out what it means to belong to his local family, his local church, Cornerstone Church. Folks, we have not just come here together to sit in an auditorium to sing songs. No, we've come to be part of family. And the passion that we have to be together at Christmas for at family times should be even deeper for us when we gather together on a Sunday. When we see each other in gospel communities because we are brothers and sisters. We are co-heirs with Jesus. The living hope of inheritance has been promised to us. All of us. Now I'm blessed all my brothers and sisters know the Lord Jesus Christ. But some of you don't have brothers and sisters who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore they are not co-heirs with him. There is a brighter future for you in the context of family than for them. And I pray that they come to know Jesus. That's what we're part of. We should look across the room and go, there's my brother. There's my sister. And we together are family. Now, there are lots of obstacles that we can put in place to stop that sense of belonging and stop and enjoying that. Some of it is our own experience and history, like I've spoken about, but some of them are quite general. First one is this, sensationalism sensationalism actually we want family to be like Christmas day every day you know what I mean I've had a lot of Christmases 43 I think there is 43 Christmases they've all been great some of them haven't been so great but we hype it up that it should be like this and that's what we do with church church folks is not razzmatazz it's raw it's raw it's not razzmatazz if your experience and your desire is for sensationalism, you're missing the point because church is ordinary, but it is glorious. 
like true family. It's ordinary, but it's glorious. The next one is individualism. We actually think we can crack on and do okay without being part of a church family. Can I tell you this, folks? You will not experience the sense of belonging this, time, this side of the second coming if you think that you're going to walk this road on your own. You just won't. See, we have been saved to be part of a people. Right at the beginning of time when God created Adam, he said it's not good for man to be alone. Primarily, that wasn't an issue of marriage. That was an issue of that Adam on his own could not truly live, it out, live out the image that he bared. Because God, for all eternity, is a relational being. And he tried. He tried to find a suitable partner with all the animals, and he clearly found out very quickly that that wasn't the case. Folks, we have been saved to be part of a people. The other one is mysticism. In an age of increasing spirituality and spiritual sensitivity, we, we've separate, separated out the presence of God from his people. What we forget is that Jesus is amongst his people. We are the temple. In Revelation, what you see is that Jesus is walking amongst the churches. If you think that you can separate out and have this mystic, mystic relationship with Jesus outside of his bride, you are missing out on so much of what it is to walk with Jesus. You can't love the bridegroom and hate the bride. That's an awkward wedding to be at, isn't it? The next one is idealism. It's when we love the idea of community more than community itself. It's when we have utopian thoughts regarding our GC and prayer meetings and worship times and pastoral expectations. And when they're not met, we become frustrated and disillusioned. But folks, true community, truly belonging to the church in this broken world will have its ups and it will have its downs. It, it will have its disappointments and it will has it, have its struggles and it will have its pains. But by the grace of God, we limp along together. You've heard the old saying, you'll never find the perfect church. And if you do, don't go there, because you'll spoil it. It's true. It's true. And sensationalism and individualism, mysticism and idealism are all underpinned by consumerism. What I want and what is best for me. What I want, and what is best for me. Folks, that is not how families work. And it's not how the family of God works. Now I understand there are times to move on from churches, and I understand for conviction, and even experience, and even hurt. But it's not right to leave to then to not be part of a local family because you have been created and those of us who are Christians have been saved to belong. To belong. What is best for you is to be part of a local church. That's what's best for you if you're a Christian. And how do we apply that in Cornerstone, that sense of belonging? We've had an interview. We hammer on about it all the time. You can sense in the room, oh, GC's again. We will hammer that drum till Jesus comes back. 
or he takes us home. Because only in the context of community that's formed by the gospel, for the gospel, will we truly know that sense of what it is to belong. So get involved with the GC. Belonging to a church is investing your life in gospel-centered community with other gospel-centered people and seeing them for who they truly are. God's people, your people, God's family, your family. Amen? Amen. And one way we help people belong is that we intentionally step in to number two. We become people who welcome. Romans 15 says this, we who are strong have to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up for Christ did not please himself but as it is written the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me for whatever was written in former days was written for our, our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, I'm not going to unpack all that. Therefore, in light of what we've just read, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Folks, we have no right to be welcomed by Jesus. Amen? We have no right to be welcomed by Jesus. We have no right to be welcomed by him into his family, but through faith in him we are. He welcomes us mercifully, graciously, lovingly, and he welcomes us fully. So we should do the same. We should do the same. We have a welcoming God who welcomes us and meets us where we are at. And when we remember where we came from, and that we have been graciously welcomed, we also can be people of that grace, people who are marked by that grace, a people who are welcoming people. The grace that we have received, folks, we are called to extend that grace to others. To others. But the two obstacles for us being a welcoming people are partiality and preference. James 2 says this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Folks, partiality and preference does not reflect the grace of God. It does not reflect his love, and it's not how God's family are to live. We are not to show acts of favoritism, we are not to withhold welcome, hospitality, and care, or only give it because of someone's financial situation. The clothes that someone wears, the background that someone has, the political conviction that people hold to, someone's race, someone's color, someone's educational background, someone's talent, and folks, even someone's sin and history. Cornerstone Church, we need to repent of this. And I would say that to whatever church that I was leading. We need to repent of this. Because the evil one has sown lies within us to think that true community is only found with people who are like us. 
when true community is made up by those who are nothing like God. And he welcomes us in. We need to repent of this. And we need to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. Paul mentioned this last week of a pastor in America called Ray Ortland. And he did a famous welcome one Sunday morning in his church. And this is what he said, I quote, Welcome to church. Now here's the thing. I invite you to understand. You may not have noticed, but when you walked in, that the doors that you walked through were painted red. That's an old Christian tradition because we enter into the church through the blood of Christ. Out in the world, where we live the rest of the week, we never measure up. Our lives are never complete. We never fully belong. Then we come into the church through the finished work of Christ and the cross. And what makes the difference here? The reason why we belong is that we are walking into completeness already prepared. Therefore, we can be weak. We can be honest with ourselves and with one another and with the Lord because he says we belong. So to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a saviour, this church opens wide her red doors in the name of Jesus, the friend of sinners. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. But this welcome is not just the responsibility of a pastor on a Sunday. This welcome is a responsibility for all of us. And it's not just into church on a Sunday. It's a welcome into our community. It's a welcome into our lives. Folks, it's an issue of hospitality. It's an issue of having an open life, an open home, an open table, and an open wallet. People want to be around welcoming people. Agreed? We do. One of the biggest complaints of every church is I wasn't made welcome. You know what I mean? It's never the pastor went on too long. Okay, so you can stop that now. It's never that. It's always I was never felt welcome. Sean and I and a few other people from church were at Alan and Bridget Taylor's house for their 50th wedding anniversary celebrations in the summer. It was fantastic. Just even to be at that celebration is just wonderful, isn't it? A wonderful 50 years of marriage. <clears throat> Bridget, you need a medal. <laughs> Uh, I know Mr. T's been asleep for half of that, so <laughs> no, I'm joking. We love Alan and Bridget dearly. But one of, the, one of the things that struck me after that, the house was full of Christian people and lots of non-Christian people, lots of them, neighbors and family and friends. And all the time, Sean and I were sort of in the kitchen, and there were a few other people from church, and we were just engaging with people that weren't Christians. And because a number of them were from Liverpool or grown up in Liverpool, there was lots of overlap. It's a small city. You knew different people and you chatted to different people. It was we had a wonderful, wonderful afternoon. And as we left, we got in the car and I said to Sean, that was great, that wasn't you. And Sean said this, I love meeting new people. I love it. I love hearing stories. I love hearing what 
what, what's happening in their lives. Uh, I love to hear what's going on in, in, with their children. I love to get to know new people. And that triggered in my heart, in my heart and in my mind as we spoke about that. God has just given us a great opportunity to welcome those who don't know Jesus into our life. See, welcoming is not just about hello. It's about my life is open, come in. And some of those relationships are starting to grow. And I'm praying that an open life will bring those people in and they come to know him who is the author and the giver of ultimate eternal life, the Lord Jesus. So as we apply this, what does it mean for Cornerstone Church? To be a welcoming people. So firstly, I want us to open our eyes and to put on grace lenses. Open our eyes and put on grace lenses. The type of thing that you do as a pastor, whether this is right or whether this is wrong, is when you people arrive, you just watch to see if anybody welcomes them. Sometimes that's a sinful response. Sometimes I think it's a good thing to do. Nine times out of ten, we do well. It's great. But there are occasions where we don't. There are a number of people who are great welcomers. There are those of us that struggle with that. Mainly because we don't see. So what I'd like to encourage is to actually, as we are in community, whether we're at a party or whether we're in the context of GC or whether we're in church, ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. Not open up someone else's eyes to say hello to you and welcome you. For you to open your eyes to be a welcoming person. And then ask him, because the devil will try and deal with that, by the Holy Spirit to put on the lens of grace. The spectacles of grace. And view that person the way God intends you to view them. They are an image bearer of God. If they're a Christian, they're a brother and sister. If they don't know Jesus, they need to know the greatest hope and joy that you have in Christ. Put those lenses on. And as you put those lenses on, you remember that you've been graciously welcomed in by Christ. So you want to extend that grace to others. Open your eyes and put on the grace lens. Next one. Go and say hello. I'm being serious. Go and say hello. Because you haven't got a clue who you're going to talk to, what you're going to hear, what interactions you may have, what relationship may be formed. You may be the instrument that God wants to use in that moment to bring encouragement, to bring love, and to bring graciousness, and to bring somebody into the context of the church community. Go and say hello. Because often the reason why we don't say hello or engage is because we don't think those people are like us or we're worried about whether they are like us. Both those things are irrelevant in the Word of God. You're called to love them. So let's step in. Go and say hello. Open up your lives. Seriously, open up your lives, folks. Hospitality is not about having a home. The most hospitable person that ever walked this planet did not have a home. The Bible says that Jesus, Jesus said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay a head. You know what Jesus did? Jesus said to other people, I'm going to use your house to be hospitable. <laughs> That's what he did. All right, so if you own a home, beware that people might want to do that. And you know what? Have an open enough life to say, yeah, okay. See, it's an open life. Invite people in. 
That might be a coffee. That might be going for breakfast. That might be going, engaging in some sport. It might be just to love and care for somebody. Open up your life. Open up your table. Open up your wallet to love and care. Open your eyes. Go say hello. Open your lives. And folks, do it with a realization that welcoming is costly. It requires sacrifice, but it's joyful. It's full of joy. Let us never forget that there was a cost that was paid in order for us to be welcomed in by Christ. The greatest cost, the death of God himself in our place. Sometimes it's hard to say hello. Sometimes it's hard to open up our lives. But we have been welcomed in through the costly payment paid by Jesus to welcome us in. You want to love your church? You want to love your church? I hope you do. I really hope you do. Because if you're just sitting and you don't really want to love your church, you need to pray whether this is the right church for you. You want to love your church? Know that you belong. Know who you belong to. And know who you belong with. And step into that intentionally with a welcoming heart, knowing that Christ has welcomed you by his grace and by his love. And then revel in the joy of what it is to be part of this church. To be part of Cornerstone Church. Revel in the joy of what it is. Because this place is full of joy. Because it's full of God's people who understand what it is to belong and have a real desire through the help of the Spirit to welcome in brothers and sisters and those who yet know Jesus. Let's be a church where we know where we belong. And let's be a church that welcomes in like Christ has welcomed us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you and praise you for your goodness and grace. We thank you that we have been welcomed in we thank you that even though we do not deserve to be welcomed, you welcome us in to make us a people, to display your glory to the world. Help us do that. Forgive us for our partiality and our preferences. Forgive us for our laziness. Forgive us for our lack of desire to pay costs. Forgive us for our selfishness. Help us to repent of all those things. Help us to be a church where we understand what it is to belong and we truly welcome in all aspects of life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.